Welcome to Dial It In, a podcast where we talk with interesting people about the process improvements and tricks they use to grow their businesses. I'm Dave Meyer, president of BusyWeb, and every week, Trig Violson and I are bringing you interviews on how the best in their fields are dialing it in for their organizations. Dave, donde esta la biblioteca? <laughs> oh man, you're going to tap me out on my high school Spanish already? Uh, S-O-C-K-S? Uh, no. Uh, no say. Uh, yeah, cer- I think cerveza, that's right. por favor. Oh, dos cerveza, por favor. Oh, si. Sí, sí. Mas grande cerveza. Mas I remember grande some. See, si we can. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, we, we do know a little bit about language. Do you speak any other languages, Dave, besides English? I speak geek. Geek. Well, I, yeah, I don't that's think that's it. technically a language. They don't but, have a uh, Duolingo for that yet. Yeah, or, or, or Duolipa, as the kids <laughs> yeah. say. So. <laughs> Uh, we're going to talk about a great amount of fails today, which would be super fun because we have an expert in language failure today who's joining us. One of the things that we in, as marketers see all the time is the, the value of machine learning and how machines can make your life easier and how things like chat GPT mm-hmm. is supposed to suddenly replace all everybody and AI is coming for your job and all this. But there's a couple of things where you just really can't skimp on actual labor. And one of them is correct language translation. So for people who are working internationally, it is the kiss of death to pay us all this money to do strategic thinking, build a great website, and then have the website just outwardly insult people. Yes. So we're going to we're going to talk to an expert who's going to give us many many ex- examples of really hilarious ways people have used uh, language inappropriately. So she has a, a book on Amazon. It's a great book called The Language of Global Marketing, and she is the president and owner of Rapport International, which is a natural translation service. Welcome, please, our friend Wendy Peace. Hey, Wendy. Gracias. I'll stick with the Spanish theme. <laughs> that is about all that I know. And with a funny name like mine, which is Norwegian, people ask me all the time if I speak Norwegian and I say that I'm barely allowed to order meatballs at Ikea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Trigvi, I got to ask you, yeah. I just recorded a joke about S-O-C-K-S. Do you, did you hear that? Or did you just have to, you didn't. (laughs) I didn't. What I shared in your intro was when I was a senior in high school, I was running in the hall and I got a talking to by a Spanish teacher who I told her I didn't speak Spanish. And so instead of sending me to detention, she made me come to her class for three days to learn basic Spanish. <laughs> okay, well can I can I tell the joke? It's yes, really funny. Please, by, please. By, I don't even I honestly don't even remember what it means. So what did I say? S-O-C-K-S in Spanish means yes, that's what it is, or that is what it is. Oh okay. And, okay, so this this uh Spanish speaking guy walks into the department store and he says, Quiero comprar calcientes. And the shopkeeper doesn't know Spanish. So he says, okay, well, I'll try to figure him out. So he's walking around, he's pointing at jackets, at shirts, at pants, at shorts. Finally, in frustration, he points at some socks. And the guy goes, S-O-C-K-S. 
And the guy goes, the shopkeeper says, well, if you knew how to spell it, why didn't you just spell it for no, the first no, time? There it is. There it is. Well, so I can't hear S O C K S without without thinking about that joke. Oh, that's 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 fantastic, Wendy. Thanks for joining us. We uh, want to talk about how language is used, especially in and uh, getting out of sort of the English centric versions of everything. Because mm-hmm. as the three of us live in America, we always think of you know, everything should just be in English and everybody should sort of adhere to that. But it really doesn't happen when you get out. How many different, how much business would you estimate is done outside of the English language? Oh, well, 95% of the world aren't native English speakers. And so if you just consider that, I have a question back for you. Do you know what Mm. the official language is in the United States, language or languages? Uh, there is no English, official language of the United States. That's oh. right. So, ooh. yeah, who is right? So, for all those people who are saying you, you're here in the United States, you should speak English. There's no should about it. We're the we're the melting pot. We're the mixed salad. We have lots of languages here, and people who aren't selling to those to new Americans in their native language are losing a bunch of sales let alone going outside our borders where there's a whole world to capture. Absolutely. So tell us about Rapport International. What does Rapport do? Connects people across languages and cultures by providing high-quality language written translation and spoken interpretation in over 200 languages. 200 languages. Yes. And so, you know, when people say, what's translation? What's like, what does that mean? We do websites, we do brochures, we do books, we do legal contracts, we go into proprietary software and we adapt it for different markets. We offer telephone interpreting, which is a well-kept secret because Mm. you don't have to pay monthly. You just pay on demand. You call a toll-free number, you ask for the language that you need. Within 20 seconds, you've got somebody there to help facilitate a conversation. We provide interpreters that can get on Zoom calls. We provide interpreters to go to meetings and doctor's appointments and help facilitate sales calls. And then we also do conference interpreting, like you think of uh, the UN, where you've got people doing simultaneous interpreting. So I say everything from one language to another, except teaching. You got to go back to your Spanish teacher in high school that doesn't give detention to Uh. learn, or we can refer you out to, to some programs or teachers or classes. I think if I were to teach uh, English as a second language, I would probably do the Harold Ramis and uh, Stripes, where I taught them uh, old 60s songs. Yes. <laughs> Very helpful information to know. <laughs> I, I got to update my, my repertoire of funny because I, re- I keep referring to 30 and 40-year-old movies, and it's just people are starting to stare at me a little funny. So, All right, mm-hmm. so just you cover 200 languages. How many different languages are there? So just because I want to demonstrate that you that rapport really is an expert in this. Well, we do a small fraction of the total number of languages. The total number of languages is about 6,000. What? Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah. And we're actually losing languages because as the world globalizes more, People who learn a language that is spoken by a small number of people also have to be 
become bilingual to to function to mm-hmm. to watch TV to get on the internet to trade with uh, the larger groups near them, and a lot of the younger generations are going out and leaving these smaller communities and learning other languages to make a living because they're more exposed. So there's a lot of effort going on now on preserving these languages that we stand to lose. Mm-hmm. Now to show that we're an expert, if you think about translation, most of the translation that is done around the world is done in a couple dozen languages. So if you say a couple dozen, you know, 24 to 48 languages are most common. We're doing some other ones that are, you know, very specific or have an unusual, unusual need. We've been doing it for 35 years since 1987. I've owned the company uh, coming up on 20 years. So we're in the network. We know who's good. It's not just anybody who can, that's bilingual can do translation or interpretation. It takes a lot of training and study and practice to really become good. Well, and, and cultural knowledge, right? So, I mean, you can say three, three things three different ways, and it'll be taken completely differently depending on the dialect or the region that you're speaking in. Absolutely. When we're assigning a translator to a new client, we always make sure that they're a native speaker of the language they're going into because then they have a deep understanding of that culture mm-hmm. uh, and where it's going to be used so they can accurately capture. And especially, as you know, in marketing, it's so much about emotion. And mm-hmm. so the translator has to be able to capture that emotion and that deeper message that's going on. So we do something that's not common in the industry. We do what we call linguistic matchmaking, where when we have a new client start with us and we'll assign a translator for each language and then they stay with that company so they really get to understand the company, their messaging, their products or services, Mm -hmm. um, and they continue to gain that knowledge just as a writer would. Now, it's hard to write about something the first time you do it, but as you get more knowledge, it becomes easier and better. Why is the cultural element important? If you can speak the language, shouldn't that be enough? No, no. Just think if I dropped you into Australia or I dropped you into England, think about all the different words that are said. Well, uh, yeah, one that I heard recently is uh, she knows her onions. You have any idea what that means? Uh, no. No. I like to think <laughs> I'm pretty good. Yeah. But no. <laughs> yeah. In, um, in England, you'd say that about somebody if they really know their stuff. Oh, she knows her onions. We'd never <laughs> say that in the United mm-hmm. States. So um, if you're doing a translation in English, you better know whether it's going to be used in here or Singapore, or the UK, or New Zealand versus Australia. So -hmm. there's some times where you can globalize, which is do one good English translation to be used around the world. There's certain instances. Mm -hmm. Other times you've got to localize, and that means really using references, words, sayings that the country deeply understands. What's the converse if you don't do that? So, for for example, we once had you been a job for a company that had, I don't know, I think 80 different SKUs on their website, and they wanted to go to Quebec. They wanted to sell in Quebec, which is French-speaking, but 
as a use case example, explain why just doing French isn't enough in that case. Right. There's, if you're, if you go on the internet and on, on the internet and you go to a website and in the first paragraph, they, you see things spelled, um, I'm going to use the English example because we can relate to it. Sometimes we use an S and sometimes in London they use a Z or in England they use a Z. And if you go up there and there's little things like that that don't make sense, you're not going to feel connected that. You're going to feel very different. You're going, oh, that's an English company. I'm going to buy from the United States because the shipping is going to be cheaper or they're really going to get me or, mm-hmm. you know, so there's that comfort level. So when you're going in, when you're translating French for Quebec, you want to make sure that the people who are reading it go, okay, they get me. I'm going to stay here and I'm going to go through the buyer's journey on this website because they, they know the problem I'm trying to solve. They're giving me a solution and I know how to work with them easily enough. Got it. Okay. So, and you mentioned a couple of dozen basic languages. That's French, Spanish, Portuguese, Chinese, which I think there are, Chinese is not a language. There's Mandarin. There's how many different dialects of? Yeah. So there's, yeah, Chinese is a real interesting language. It's, um, there's a lot of spoken dialects that you can't understand because they're very different. Yet there's only two forms of written Chinese. One is simplified Chinese and the other is traditional Chinese. And so to give you a little bit of history of why this is, historically in China, only the upper class learned to read and write. And so this was traditional Chinese. Now, when Mao Zedong and the communists came in, they said, okay, we're going to teach reading and writing to the masses. Well, the upper class left and they they settled in, in Taiwan and other um, Chinese-speaking parts of the world, which retained traditional Chinese. Yet inside the borders of China, which were sealed off, they taught people simplified Chinese. So whenever somebody says, I need a Mandarin translation, I say, well, where's it going to be used? And if they say China, I know they're (laughs) asking for simplified Chinese. And if they say someplace else, um, I know it's traditional Chinese, unless it's in the United States. Then we've got to dig a little bit deeper and find out what the subject matter is. If it's something that's more geared towards older consumers, that might tend to be traditional Chinese because mm-hmm. the older people that came here were from other parts of the Chinese-speaking world. But more recently, there's been uh, younger immigration from China. So it, it, if the topic is more geared towards that population, it might be simplified Chinese. And sometimes we've had to do both, mm-hmm. you know, depending on where the company is targeting. So whenever okay. we're working with a new client, we start with strategy. Where are you going to use it? Right. And so then we can make sure to pick the right language. That That's fascinating. So would a traditional Chinese, like simpli- simplified Chinese would be legible or readable in traditional, right? So they, the two would work back and forth. It's just kind of like British English or Eng- English traditional versus American, or is that... 
From sort of no, it's enough different that they simplified enough of the character. There's like thirty thousand、uh-huh. characters in traditional Chinese、uh-huh. and like three thousand、oh, wow. in simplified、mm-hmm. Chinese, and so it's the combination of characters that mean words. So that's why we still do the both. It's not as easy、wow. as saying traditional Chinese writers can understand simplified、mm-hmm. Chinese because it changed enough. Right, so so my、uh, American insight, where I'm just thinking traditional Chinese is like saying "thee" and "thou," <laughs> is not. Yeah, that. <laughs> yeah no, because、uh, yeah, I、right. mean that's an interesting way to look at that. I hadn't thought about that before. Yeah, but now it's 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 different. It's very different.、Right. Fascinating. When,、yeah. when businesses come to you, what is what are some of the ways that they realize that they need to. Present themselves in different languages. What are, so you mentioned? You talked about the buyer's journey and solving the problem. So, how do companies go about identifying the problem that that they're they're not doing enough with natural language translation? Yeah, Trigvi, that's a really good question. There's all different ways that people get into translation. I had a client that has、uh, he does research for electronic companies to help them figure out what products they should be developing for the next quarter, or the next half a year, and he kept getting inquiries from China, and so he he contacted us and said, "Can you translate these?" Emails because I'm getting inquiries, so I step back and I'm sure you know Marcus Sheridan in his book they ask you answer,、yep. and I said okay you're probably getting the same questions over and over again. Let's do a landing page and answer those questions that Marcus Sheridan covers in the book,、um, and then when people come in, you can send them that link and they can read about the information that they want to get, and then they could go through the buyer's journey, purchase. The The information and then use it because it was access- accessible、uh, to people. So we had to look at even if you brought them in, could they use the platform? And he said they could.、Um, so that was one where he was paying attention to his his metrics. He could, or he was paying attention and being responsive to inquiries. Another way that people become aware that maybe they should do some translation is that they're watching their metrics, and they can see. That people are coming in, they've got inbound leads coming in from a certain geography. So we've done German translation for a company that saw that and said, "Hey, if we add a little German in there, we might increase our leads come in." Other people say, "Hey, we've got something, and we want to export." The United States federal government provides money and support to the states to help people export. So you can get. Free money and free advising, and yet you can even go on trade shows with your state、uh, government,、um, you know, resources, your trade departments, because they're they're trying to build exports. Our balance of trade is so far off. We import so much more than we export, and so the companies that do export have higher revenue. They have higher profits. They pay higher salaries. They have f- higher valuations, and they have more、uh, longevity,、uh, higher IP valuations. So every metric shows, and this is from the Department of Commerce, that people who that companies that export do much better. And most of the companies are small and mid-sized businesses. So you don't have to be a large、mm-hmm. business. So sometimes companies will say, "You know what? 
I want to become an exporter. And so they will go contact the state, they'll get a step grant, um, and then they'll get some advice. And then they'll, there's multiple ways to do it. You can go after a big country. Com- country and go after a small country. You can figure out how to do it to one. You can, you know, ha- there's there's all sorts of strategy on that. And then another way that I see people is that they may have a CEO that's from another country and they're familiar with that culture and that language. So they say, okay, I'm going to export to that country because I already know it and have connections. And then they start branching out and geographies from there. So there's all different ways that people start. It really doesn't matter. And I'm happy to consult with anybody about how to test it and how to access uh, step grants and resources in, in your state. Perfect. So they, they, they've realized that they need to, they're, they're, there's money overseas, there's money in, in different places. And one of the things that as marketers that Dave and I see all the time is that there's the uh, a company's first inclination is a reversion to the average and can, can what is the cheapest way in which I can do this? So there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a program that uh, is offered by Google called Google Translate. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> that you can put language into Google Translate and then it'll automatically spit out in the uh, in the other language what you should put. Yeah. Yeah. And if you want to know how good it is, right, one of the easiest ways is to have Google Translate translate something for you and then go back from the language that you translated to back into English and see how much it mangles it, right? <laughs> Yep, you can. I have all sorts of stories. Do you want me to get into Google Translate But before you get into a story, let's let's answer the answer the question, which is why should people avoid mm-hmm. Google mm-hmm. Translate? And then I want we definitely want to hear stories. Okay. So number one, we already talked about how the culture has to be very important. So if you're using Google Translate, it's really doing a word for word and it's trying to pick it up. So you're you're meeting you're losing all of that connecting with my client and you spend all that time writing marketing content and you know researching who your your ideal buyer is and all that and you've just lost it by putting Google Translate in. Second reason is I've heard and I don't know how to 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 verify this, but I've heard that Google Translate shows as duplicate content because you have it in there as one language and then Google Translate puts it up in another language, but it's a word for word. So it could be duplicate Mm. content that could ding. Mm. The third thing is, is when people put the Google Translate plugin in, you click on it and you have the drop down and it's all well and good. I'm on the English site. I do the drop down and it gives me all the languages in English. So I've gone to a Chinese site, found the Google Translate plugin. They're all in Chinese. I can't pick English out. Chinese isn't one of my languages to read. I can't pick English out of there. So it's a waste of time. Number four is people oftentimes will bury the plugin way down deep in their, um, their website so people can't even find it. So again, it's a waste of time. Number five, there's been liability issues in hospitals and with police um, that I know of that we've we've written some blogs about that uh, Google Translate has made fatal errors. Um, And so there's a life. Fatal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of them was a 
high school athlete went into the hospital, so complete athlete, and they said, I can't remember the word right now, but it was something like, um, something, it, it was interpreted as he was drunk. And mm-hmm. so, so that they kind of said, oh, you need to just let him sleep it off. But it ended up the direct translation for that didn't mean that. It meant something like he passed out. And um, so he didn't get in whatever he had, if they had done the appropriate test, they would have been able to treat it and save him. But they didn't because they were relying on Google Translate on it. Oh, my stars. Um, yeah. well, I knew it yeah. was a bad idea. I didn't know it could rise to the level of fatality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's only a matter of time if it hasn't happened yet that a lot of the governments are using the Google Translate plugin in because it's cheap or free. But if a government provides services to over 5% of a population of their population that speaks a language, they have to provide in language services. So I think it's only a matter of time before um, somebody's going to be sued for not providing equal access. Another one is is Google, and so I think I'm up to number six now, is number six is where it goes into the stories. It, it can't actually capture the meaning when there's no direct translation for a phrase mm-hmm. or for, you know, like she knows her onions. And I have all sorts of examples of Google Translate and what it does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> can, I, can I share some with yeah, you? Please, you go yeah. The next? yeah. <laughs> well, so, to, to close the door on, on Google Translate, it, it's, it's, it's kind of like buying a website theme. It can get you about 60% of the way there, but it's not really the whole thing and it's not quite what you should do. It's a waste of time. It's a complete waste of time. Yeah. Yeah, I think the better way to do it is if you can't afford to do your whole website and oftentimes you don't need to do that, then take out the five questions that you need to answer. Do a landing page or a microsite that is affordable. You don't have to do it all at once because we all know that if you add more content into your website, that helps with the Google algorithm. So get something up there and then continue to add to it as you have, as you're tracking your metrics and see which blogs are popular or as a question keeps coming up, then you can add pages to it. Does, Does Google give you credit for content in two languages? Yeah. Yeah, you want to optimize your translated site just as you would optimize your English language site. So when we're doing keywords for a translation, it's not as simple of this is the keyword. We might give options so we can look at the so the agency can look at the statistics and see mm-hmm. which word they want to optimize for. So there's a lot, a lot of thought in that. And that reminds me, you got to remember your titles and your tags. Um, mm-hmm. And all those words need to be translated to to optimize for search. Hmm. For sure. Sounds like a, a fun ne- next level of keyword stuffing is just have your, la- have your website posted in 14 different languages. But I'm sure that is, there's probably limits on that. But okay, mm-hmm. so... The- well, you also have to think through that... You know, if you pull them into your site, then what's the buyer's journey and how are you providing services? Mm -hmm. But that's, you know, as we know in marketing, it's usually the hardest to get them in. So let's do that and then you can figure out the rest of the stuff. Yeah. All right. So that's it. Time for the good stuff. Give us the give us the <laughs> give us the fails. <laughs> okay. We so you listeners some fails, and I'm sure you've yeah. got these. Yeah, I do. So here's uh Here's 
here's an English one. You know what a redneck is, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. So in the U.S., we we all know what that is. Uh, what I did, what I hadn't realized, is I thought it was from the farmer's tan. It's not. It's originally from the mining. That if you were striking mm-hmm. to get better miners' rights, you wore a red bandana. So they were a redneck. Oh. Well. Um, you know, so the meaning is really somebody who's a little crass, unsophisticated, rural dr- dweller is kind of, you know, in the U.S. But if you put it into Spanish, it comes out as white peasant. And in German, it comes up as farmers. So huh. it doesn't quite capture the meaning quite, here no. in the U.S. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um Kummerspect is one of my favorite German words. Ooh. It's that excessive weight gain from emotional eating. We don't have a word for it. And <laughs> what's, it, it's what's your favorite German word, Dave? Well, I know what wait, yours wait, is. Wait, 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 wait. Hang on. I got to yeah. give the punchline. Oh, yeah. Google, okay. yeah. Google translates it into grief bacon. Nah. Grief bacon. <laughs> I should I should print out T-shirts called grief or, and do grief bacon on them. That's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that fun? <laughs> Especially living through a Minnesota winter when you get 22 inches of snow in a day. It's Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How about a Hawaiian wo- word called panapo'o? I love okay. this. It's scratching your head when you're trying to remember something. You know, we've all done that. We don't have a uh-huh. word in English. specific word for a uh-huh. thing, but okay. Uh-huh. Uh, there's all sorts of words like that in other languages. That's yeah. what language makes writ why it's so rich. Um, Google says, shoot the head. <laughs> That's Scratching not good. your head to remember. No, yeah. no. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh, here's here's my all-time favorite. It's the Finnish word. Calcitaconit. I learned I, this at the uh, HubSpot Inbound Conference. It means I'm drunk, at home, in my underwear, and there's no way I'm going out. Wow. <laughs> now, that sounds like a like an explicitly COVID-related word. Well, that's, no, that's, it's that's, a Finnish word. <laughs> I know. That's cool. Explain our weekends. Uh, but Google just says buttocks. <laughs> so this is the meaning. It just, it just gives up. It's like, all right, yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, you had asked Dave what his favorite German word were. I've got uh-huh. more of these. Word, Dave. I'm, I'm going to steal your thunder, Trigvi. And I'm oh man, I'm not going to have an answer. Uh huh. Uh huh. What's yours, Trigvi? Wait, what was yours, Dave? I didn't hear you. Schadenfreude. Yeah. Mm. Yes, that's another one. Yeah, uh, Friday, of course, for, for our listeners means happiness at the misfortune of others. And Google mm-hmm. says malicious joy, gloating or spitefulness. <laughs> it takes the mean harder. part of yeah. it. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. No, Schadenfreude I, I, is, is, is kind of a joke. You know, it's right. more lighthearted than uh-huh. malicious joy. Yeah. Oof. I, I, I think of it more in terms of like watching uh, Karen videos on YouTube of Karen's asking for the manager and then getting thrown out. Right, right. That's what I, I enjoy. <laughs> yes, yes. Which is, yeah, which is lighthearted if your name isn't yeah. Karen. <laughs> right. 
I, we we know you, Wendy, primarily from uh, the marketing a- aspects of uh, of the of the business because that's how we've met and we've worked with you in the past. But I'm really interested in the other forms of that rapport does about translation. So, what other ways do people utilize rapport? So, for instance, I know my wife has, who is a school counselor, has uh, a, a lot of families who come who aren't native English speakers that she has to talk to. Mm-hmm. And so she has to use a, utilize a translator. Yes. So um, one of our specialties is global marketing, and that's I wrote the book, and then I host the Global Marketing Show podcast. Another area that we do is what I'd call like um, the community interpreting or translation, and that is working with schools, hospitals, legal offices to provide translation to support people in that area. So we provide IEPs that students might need to help with in class. We provide interpreters that can go in and help family uh, meetings. We provide interpreters that go out to all the major hospitals in uh, Nebraska. We have a a big presence there. Um, And of course, we're in Massachusetts and we do it in other, you know, live interpreters. We do translation everywhere, telephone interpreting everywhere around the globe because a lot of this is done, well, all that's done virtually. We also do legal contracts, um, you know, technical. So that's all the community interpreting. So we do everything in there. And then we get into the technical side, you know, so people have user manuals, uh, contracts, anything high, you know, technology, localization of software, anything that has to be done high quality. That's what we do. You get an unsolicited email and you don't know whether you need to respond to it or not. Sure. Pop it into Google Translate. If it's, you know, send me a thousand dollars, I'm in need. And from somebody you don't know, you delete that. If it looks like something to do with business, hey, you know, take it the next step and see if you can build the business. So I, I'm I'm just really fascinated by this. So if a company, I know this is a hard question to a- answer, but what does translation services cost a business? And I think there's two there's two ways that I'd like you to answer mm-hmm. that. Number one is how much generally speaking, does your services run? And number two, what's the sunk cost of not doing it? Okay, so yeah, the sunk cost of not doing it is you're leaving revenue on the table. Mm-hmm. Global companies on average, I think it's our 20, grow 20 to 30% faster than domestic only companies. And I went through the statistics before, and oftentimes people will say, oh, translation is a cost, but particularly if you're doing it for anywhere in the buyer's journey, which is to attract, engage, and delight, you're providing information that's going to help attract and retain clients. So the cost, there's different ways to look at it. Our minimum charge is $95. So that's about a page of content. You know, so you can put a landing. Pretty reasonable. That's yeah. Any any professional service you're gonna hire to do anything is gonna run you a hundred dollars an hour at least. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so when you're sending things in, you don't want to send a line or two in. You want to consolidate it and think, okay, what am I going to use? Then we talk with our clients about, okay, well, if you're translating your website, use that same content to build out your brochure that if you're going to give a hard copy brochure 
or, you know, do a PDF that you're going to email, use that Mm -hmm. same content, just reorder it. So there's smart ways to use your budget for translation. And I go a lot into this in my book. There's Mm -hmm. a whole chapter in my book, The Language of Global Marketing, which you can get on Amazon or any of the places where you buy your online books. It's also, I also have an audio version, but there's a whole chapter on what to translate. And you can look at low cost, high return versus high cost, low return and plot your content or your materials out in there. And so you can, you know, to do, rather than doing your whole website, which can cost thousands of thousands of dollars, why not start with a landing page? You put a couple hundred dollars into it. And then every so often you add a page for a couple hundred more dollars and you can slowly Mm -hmm. build from there. So the pricing of translation is based upon the length of the the content you need to translate, the subject matter and the language. Spanish is the least expensive. Then European languages would be second. And then character languages are your most expensive. We provide meaning like uh, Russian and and, uh, simplified Chinese, Chinese, Mm -hmm. traditional Chinese, Vietnamese, Korean, Mm -hmm. any of those. And then, and we always ask to see what's going to be translated because if somebody has, if it's done in a layout, there could be an additional charge for doing the layout. We can provide just the translation or we can do the print ready layout. Uh, and provide that or upload it into the website. And then we look at the graphics because if you learn one, two things from this is don't use Google Translate for something that's important. And number two is if you're a marketing person and you're building out images and graphics, don't embed the text because if you embed the text, it's really hard to add translation to that. You know, if you overlay the text, then we can just go in and drop it in and and modify your your uh, image. This sounds like something that you can give a great example of. <laughs> Lots of them. Lots no, it, of them. It, it, and it we can pro- handle it. It just costs more mm-hmm. money because of how it was originally built. So what's an example of a, a client uh, that came to you that had text embedded in their logo and how did that fail in an, another language? I'm thinking, um, of a cer- I'm thinking of a certain lumberjack. You're thinking of a lumberjack. Yeah, you told me the story about the lumberjack once that translated into another language. Oh, I don't even remember that one. Tell refresh my memory. It was something about in English, it was something about lumberjacks. And then when it got translated into another language, it was it was it got translated into something like burly homosexual. Oh, gentle giant. Right. <laughs> Oh, that's hysterical. Yeah, we have a moving company in New England called Gentle Giant, and I know the owner, and he's this really tall guy, extremely fit. He competes internationally, and I think it's rowing. And he went to China, and there was somebody there making characters of words that you wanted to put on a T-shirt. So he said, oh, my my company's name is Gentle Giant. Can you do that? So the... uh, 
the guy did it. He didn't ask for clarification. Obviously, he wasn't a trained translator. And he's walking around China, and people are looking at him and laughing and pointing at him. So he goes back to the hotel, and he says, what does my shirt say? And they said, well, it translates into large homosexual. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at least he didn't get the tattoo, right? I mean, oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I did a whole series with social media a few years back on tattoos, you know, people who failed Uh on getting tattoos. Uh But yeah, he had a good sense of humor, so it was funny. But um, apparently gentle can allude to homosexuality in China. So that's where the mistranslation happened. That's that's (laughs) fantastic. So, all right, in in the time we have left... I know we talked some about some of the Google Translate fails, but what are what are your top three or four just epic language fails that have gone from English into another language, like like the gentle giant? Um, okay, taglines are always priceless because they're very visual. I mean, if you're talking about an English to English translation, Electrolux launched in the United States with their British tagline, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh-huh. yeah they modified that i don't know what they changed it to but you know having a you want your vacuum cleaner to suck but you don't want to say it sucks <laughs> another one was braniff airlines they had um fly in leather you know like we've got <laughs> leather seats yeah. it's really nice uh-huh. and so in spanish they said vuela en cuello and that translates yeah. into fly naked <laughs> oh <laughs> Well, I bet they were wondering why their their ticket prices uh, shot up. That was amazing. Yeah. Like Spirit Airlines before Spirit Airlines. Right. Ouch. Oh. Okay. Spirit. All right. Another one is my favorite. I love that campaign with Got Milk with the uh, milk mustache. Mm-hmm. And um, somebody with high school Spanish or something, uh, translated into ay leche, which is grammatically correct, but they didn't know the other meaning to ay leche, which means, are you lactating? Oh. <laughs> so big and billboards. And then you put that over the, somebody's oh, picture no. of somebody with the milk mustache. Uh-huh. Are you lactating? <laughs> <laughs> Big billboard in Southern California. Are you lactating with the milk mustache? <laughs> oh my! Wow, that escalated quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, if anybody um, hears any more, I I have a running list of them. So please send them over to me. I get a real kick out of them. And you post on post them on social media too. So that's a great way to follow along. If you're interested in in learning more about translation is to follow you on social medias. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You can uh, look for me, Wendy P's translation expert. I'm on all the social medias quite a bit. Um, If you want a free chapter of the book, The Language of Global Marketing, you can go to my Linktree account. It's got a free chapter of book, link to buy the book, podcast, all my social medias. And so it's just Linktree, L-I-N-K, tr.ee slash Wendy P's, W-E-N-D-Y, P as in Peter, E-A-S-E. And it has all my links there. And you guys know about Linktree, right? Oh, yeah. 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 And if I I wanted to buy the book, I could find it on uh, Amazon? You can find it on Amazon. 
Yep. And if you buy the book and you read it and you learn one thing, please leave me a review. I've started doing that for all authors now because it really, really does make a difference on helping the book get found and getting feedback. So uh, Mm -hmm. give me your honest feedback. There's a five-star review, Wendy, from me on Amazon for your book. I think me too. I do remember that. Not I'll I'll put one in. Well, Wendy, thank you for joining us. And uh, and tell us the website one more time. So if people uh, need your help, they can uh, they can uh, hire you to help them make make a little bit more money overseas. Thank you. Happy to do a free consultation with anybody anytime. Our website is Rapport Translation. So it's like the French word Rapport, R A P P. O-R-T, and then translations.com. And we have tons. If there's anything you want to learn more about, you can go in. We have a whole learning center and a search bar there. You can search for anything and learn a ton more. 